0: Our modern Western culture places little to no value on the power
1: of our nightly dreams to
2: inspire, shift, and reorganize our lives.
1: This podcast demands a deep reconsideration of the role our dreams play on our path to a more vital and meaningful life. The following is living proof of the life-affirming power of dreams to affect change and redirect the trajectory
0: of our inner and outer
1: lives. These these, 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 these these are are the dreams dreams
3: that shape
1: us. When you dream, you meet up with a part of yourself that waits in the background and watches as you go about your day and can't wait to get its hands on you at night. At night, when you're asleep and relaxed and undistracted. When you're ready to say, okay, now's a good time to take a good look at myself and that part of you says great let me show you what's most important for you to know to be aware of so that you can live your life better first item on the agenda is your self-image your sense of who you are and what you're here for what sort of life you want to live and if something about you needs to be fixed or you have unfinished business you can bet that you'll dream about it in such a way to deliver just what you need. That's what happened to our guest, Georgia, during a pivotal time in her life. And she met up with that part of herself that had seen everything that had happened in her life and knew just how to deliver the medicine to help make her better. There is so much more to this phenomenal story of how dreams shaped her life. I'm J.M. Debord, your co-host. Now here is my co-host, Steve, and our guest, Georgia. Enjoy the show.
0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Dreams That Shape Us podcast. I'm Steve Ernenwein, and I am here today with my good friend, Georgia Palmer. Uh, we have a hell of a story for you today. Uh, i'm really excited to drop in here with her uh, if you are new to the show we are the dreams that shape us i'm one half of the dreams that shape us and our podcast is seeking to obliterate the western myth that dreams mean nothing by offering story after human story showing just how meaningful dreams are in shaping our lives so thank you for being with us here today and everybody who's been joining us all along thank you so deeply So excited to have everybody here today to listen to this, another amazing story of how dreams have truly shaped someone's lives. What I know about the story at the moment, it's going to be a wild ride. So strap in and yeah, how are we doing today, Georgia?
4: I'm doing well. Yeah, I'm a little bit nervous and anticipating what's going to come through.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. All right. um, So, yeah, I don't know where where do you feel like you the story picks up for you
4: i guess i can start from the very beginning <laughs> from from childhood yeah. so yeah my my connection with dreams has always been really strong um i've always been yeah a very strong vivid dreamer and as i was a child i think the way that dreams really point themselves out to me at that age was I used dreams to kind of, um, wake up from nightmares. So I used lucidity to wake up from nightmares when I was a child I had. So I've always been a really light sleeper. It's kind of been a blessing and a curse. So yeah, yeah, the way, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) it's great, but it means sometimes you're pretty tired, (laughs) but I remember, I think around, you know, four or five dreams a night usually. and. So yeah, as a child, I think yeah, it's it came from sleeping in, in a bedroom alone, um, from a young age and having that kind of hypervigilance of sleep, maybe some stuff about um safety and security. So I was always a bit like awake during sleep, ready to to bounce, you know. Mm. And I guess that's that's also part of this whole story and, and that kind of unfolding of coming into Safety and comfort within the self. So, yeah, from a young age, I was very vigilant in sleep, which meant I had very vivid dreams. So I would explore many kind of dream realms, which felt kind of out of my depths from such a young age. From my understanding of life, it was it was always this completely different thing to me. It was like okay, I have my life as me, Georgia, little girl, mm-hmm. and then there's some part of me that wakes up when i'm asleep and if i'm imagining and daydreaming in the day that knows more than i know and that experiences way more than than i ever believed that i would experience and yeah so i i started to have nightmares as we do as a child um i think there's another thing as well to point out note which which kind of feeds into our story of so when i was i don't know what age i was but At the age where you become curious about death. I don't know if every child does that, but, you know, asking your parent, what's it going to be like when I die? What happens when we die?
0: My son loves Um, bothering my partner about that. (laughs) She's like, please stop talking about you dying. Like, I don't want to think about it. But he'll like sing songs about dying. Like, I'm going to die tomorrow. Or like, just like, and we're like, what the hell, dude? Like, Why? yeah it's, yeah
4: I think it's it's interesting isn't it this like fascination or maybe we we never you know we never thought about it and then yeah. as the psyche comes into more consciousness it's like oh okay sometimes I can be conscious and sometimes I can't I'm not so we want to go to sleep so what is that I know. <laughs> so you know I posed the question to my mom and I think you know bless her like she does the best and she's not you know she's not lying in what she says I think it's her belief at that time so it was um her her response was it's like going to sleep and never waking up oh man so (laughs) so me I that like terrified me yeah that's heavy
0: that's a heavy way of dropping (laughs) that
4: (laughs) and I stick I'm stuck with that you know and it's so what what happened is like I was like wow so when I go to sleep lose consciousness i have no control and i go into the void oh my god this is the most terrifying (laughs) thing i can ever think of (laughs) um and so actually i became quite afraid of sleep Mm. afraid of dropping asleep and i would try and fight it um and so yes as a child my dreams they were just so powerful in their teachings but mainly they were teaching and i think it's My journey the whole time of about courage. And so I would use lucidity, like I said, to wake up from nightmares. I would I would go to characters in the dream and I would say, you know, I'm dreaming, right? You know, we're all dreaming. Like Hmm. this isn't real. And they go, prove it. And um, (laughs) I would go, okay, well, I'm gonna wake myself up then. And then I would do this, this. I now I can only imagine it as, as an energy practice where I would move the energy from my feet all the way up my body in this one big wave and then I would wake up in that moment oh man and I've used that in waking life you know that's actually been a practice that has been now with me for for a long time in moving energy so yeah that was that's part of my childhood experience of dreaming on in there
0: (laughs) oh that's so funny did you have the experience of like having moments like that and then forgetting about it until later when you like had more of a spiritual awakening
5: i think no no i mean
4: i always remembered i i've always remembered my dreams upon waking and i think it was just like it was just there Hmm. it was never something i rationalized or thought about it was just like oh this is just what i'm doing Uh, yeah it's just that part of me that we can't explain that happens when i sleep and yeah there was no there was definitely no kind of analyzing of any of the stuff it was just maybe I was receiving some sort of I believe that the dreams were teaching me from that from that age already just how to navigate the dreaming realms
0: wow very cool yeah so as you move forward from there like I know things get pretty heavy for you <laughs> as you approach your teenage years yeah is that yeah. are you ready to move into that or do you got more to yeah, say definitely.
4: Well, we can jump in yeah, so um, I think so. I think there's a, a backstory a little bit just before I was, I was kind of growing up and my parents separated when I was, um, I think I was about seven or eight, something like that. My dad moved away, um, not away, but out of the house. He lived in a van. So he was always close by. We'd always see him. But there was another shift there in the sense that um, another level of security was, was lost and i found that really difficult as a child to to manage and to handle and um, my my kind of response was a story which i'm still untangling which i'm sure a lot of people understand this kind of avoidance like the attachment style of avoidance Mm. dissociation um just kind of holding everything at bay because of the pain and the betrayal that i experienced so My relationship with my dad from from that age kind of yeah it just it started to melt down really a little bit for me personally and and the way he experienced it just because i guess i experienced such a big betrayal and as a child i didn't know how to work through that and he maybe didn't know how to talk to me about that either yeah so the years up until what we're about to talk about yeah, I think I was disconnecting from life slowly, um, and was feeling the oncoming of something which, yeah, I would never mm-hmm. have thought about. So, so when I was thirteen, my dad passed away. Twelve, actually. So when I was twelve, my dad passed away. Um, it was very sudden. It was like a heart attack, and he lived in his van. and And um, my mum told told us and immediately obviously what happens in those moments was this kind of huge shock and yeah it's to have your parent and primary caregiver you know pass away or one of your primary caregivers pass away at such a kind of vulnerable age of 12 you know you're coming into teenage years and stuff yeah there's no explaining really what what that does to the soul of a child you know Yeah. So that obviously created a lot of fragmenting, you know, in the moment of being told that was a a part I've gone back to a few times, you know, and continue to of this in a soul retrieval sense.
3: Hmm.
4: And so what happened with my dreams, I try and think back whether it started to happen before. I feel like it kind of started to happen before. Um, I know that Jung has this idea of dreams being kind of preemptive, but all I remember from from there is that for the next three years, my dreaming life was basically most nights, if not every night was apocalypse dreams and the end of the world. Wow. Yeah. In all shapes and forms, but it was mainly, if not always like natural disasters. So we lived right on the edge of a cliff kind of overlooking the ocean so naturally the dreams were often like tsunamis and tidal waves and things that Mm. are going to threaten to wipe out the house or me and the overriding theme was of escape you know i was trying to escape um my mum, as a character in my dreams in that time was always in denial my sister was she was kind of trying to help me I guess escape so yeah there were three years of kind of torment which I guess is this illustration of the absolute destruction of the psyche and and the balance that was held before or it was already shaky you know but now really the foundations are kind of swept apart and so yeah there were so many it's really funny to think now that I see a lot of those dreams as very beautiful because of this kind of profound sense of everything kind of falling apart that we knew you know i'd be in my childhood village they would all be around my house that i was in in that moment so really it was yeah very close to reality Mm. it was not like i was going anywhere else i would be waking up in my bed and getting up and that would be happening you know and i'd be walking down the village um, road and the tarmac would be heating up to red hot and burning people's feet and there would be cracks appearing in the ground <laughs> and the sky would be coming in and there'd be meteors falling down and it was every single night and it wow. bled into it bled into my reality my waking reality you know my mom took me to psycho psychotherapist to try and think about about that and the destruction bleeding into my physical life you know led to also self-destructive and self-denying behaviors
0: yeah so that's I mean it is I mean I can't even imagine putting myself in that position um but just yeah the way that they are companioning you in this really intense way now I can see it being beautiful to you just like knowing that they were there with you through it all like as intense as that is I the tsunamis I mean I I think are would be fitting for most people (laughs) just like an intense like emotional like oh man
4: Defo. I mean I have I have them now you know sometimes I'll every now and then i'll have an apocalypse dream which will hit me quite strong and i'll really have to look at my life and go what is going on yeah but i often have the water ones and the running away from the rising of water yeah yeah if i'm feeling overwhelmed or something in my life
0: yeah how did how did you tell your mother these dreams yeah how did she respond again
4: so i think I don't know. Like I said, she took me to therapy about it. So she obviously knew that there was something going on there, but maybe she didn't know how to discuss it either. And um, it was also, so the years were 2009 up to 2012. So there was also this whole 2012 thing uh. and the movie 2012. <laughs> so I actually became like a little bit obsessed oh, because man. I had no choice. My whole sleeping reality was about that and it was bleeding into the daytime. I would have, you know, visuals, like imaginations of the same kind of ilk. But yeah, I think it was so interesting. My mum, and she she actually is still like this in my dreams that she has this, this denial aspect, you know, often I would be in the dream. I'd kind of run down the stairs and I'd be like, mum, look, you know, there's a wave coming or something like that. And she'd go, no, there isn't. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> she said what are you talking about she said it's going to be fine and I think that's probably really an illustration of how I saw her at that time in the sense now I fully understand you know she had to carry on working she had to you know provide for us mm-hmm. but in my eyes I guess I felt very isolated you know not having anyone to talk to but I also self isolated that's what I mean with the self destructive and self denying behaviours I my dreams were so strong, but in the sense of consciously, you know, moving through grief or anything, I didn't really do any of that. Yeah. So my dreams were kind of compensating, I think. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: yeah, well I'm curious, like I, I actually just really dove headfirst into attachment theory. And um, I know I I tend towards being avoidant. And one of the things that I've I've been learning about that was like not wanting like there's this brilliant woman I've been just devouring all of her information. Her name's Eli Harwood. Uh, look her up. She's brilliant. She said that avoidance, it's not that they don't want human connection. It's the fact that they have they learned early on that bringing their needs or or voicing what they're feeling to their caregivers was met in a way that they felt like it would be safer for them to hold it in so that they could stay closer to their caregiver that it would give them it would allow them to maintain proximity to their caregiver even though they they didn't feel like they were able to actually voice what they needed Mm. and that it was like a a way of especially if like they felt like they were being a burden typically they feel like they're being a burden with their emotional needs so they keep them to themselves and then that allows them to maintain proximity to their caregiver Mm. um so I don't know I'm curious like was did your mother like have a hard time with this also and maybe you felt like
5: I mean bringing yeah, your from my...
0: stuff to her would be too much or burden her too much that
5: Yeah, I think from my again
4: as well diving into the attachment stuff it kind of came to me that maybe like systemically as a culture in the west we've kind of tended towards avoiding a little bit more because we're not really taught we're not really taught how to process emotions talk about emotions live in community share share like family housing you know it's kind of something that we're not really living in communal times anymore and but yeah result of that is that we're not reaching out to each other we're not really sharing Mm -hmm. as much we have to learn that, that again in the spiritual community you know yeah, how exactly. to be vulnerable like <laughs> how to go to men's and women's circles and talk about your feelings you yeah, know
0: absolutely so i
4: think i couldn't blame my mom at all because she's just she was experienced you know acting from where she's come from and all of the parents before that so yeah. she i think she can be overwhelmed by by emotions doesn't really know how to handle them i think she would say herself that she wouldn't really know how to handle strong emotions except um maybe just you know hugging and stuff which is beautiful in itself Mm -hmm. but for me i'm a very left-brained rational person so i kind of i needed to have help in fitting things together maybe and so not feeling like anyone understood was my kind of main thing and that yeah, that even if I shared about it, it might be, um, okay. Yeah, dumbed down in a way. I was a very like in in my mind. I was very intelligent and thoughtful and conscious from quite a young age. And I think obviously, a lot of people when they speak to kids, and maybe this is a lesson, is that we kind of dumb things down or simplify them a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I actually wanted to hear the real deal. I wanted to to get the real. Juicy stuff, you know, I wanted to have that authentic talk from someone who has gone there and and yeah, so I, there's definitely no blame on my mom. it I think it's a cultural issue, really. yeah, for sure, yeah, and so yeah, there was a few things in my life that kind of it made me go into that patterning a bit stronger. Um, like I said, with my dad leaving, I think I had a tendency to avoidance anyway, or I think the beauty of avoidance is, is that it's self contained. It has this self, I feel I've always been very, you know, I had a good connection with myself, maybe because I had to, you know, um, so I've always been like that, but there are things that kind of, I guess, pushed it more into the shadow aspect, like my dad leaving and, um. A few of the ways in which when he was alive, which I, I've only wanted to admit really recently, the ways in which he managed my emotions also could create some of those patterns and and then obviously my dad dying, you know, it was a that can add even more because I'm retreating entirely mm-hmm. what I the way I did it. I retreated into the self and didn't wanna look, you know. Yeah. But my dreams, they were kind of saying to me for many years you got you got to look you got something to look at and that's when it got to the point where it was so strong that it just mm, bled into my waking reality it was like i couldn't not look
0: yeah wow yeah, yeah. so how do you how did you move forward from there what what so, happened
4: <laughs> yeah it kind of felt yeah i think at the time i did feel I didn't know how to move forward. And so there was the three years, I guess, of holding this difficult balance. Like I said, going into very self-destructive, you know, habits and behaviors, alcohol, sex, a young age, which also just added, added heaps onto the trauma, you know, (laughs) didn't do, didn't do well for myself, but I guess that's just, again, it's another reflection of our culture and how it doesn't hold these things. So. Um in those years, with the dreams and everything, I guess I was spiraling down and down into into something um really difficult and so yeah, like I said, for the three, three years, they were escape dreams they were escaping, running away in destruction, and then there were this these two dreams which I'll share which which came, which kind of signified i guess some, some change happening, some balance, trying to be had a union, trying to become two. And the first one, the more I think about it now, I feel like it, I feel like both of these dreams are what I call medicine dreams that they, they hold like a really potent medicine for our whole life. And also for maybe, you know, wider humanity, just as collective, Mm -hmm. these are very i feel like they're very collective dreams and they're medicine dreams for me and the more i think about about them the more they have relevance for now so i guess i'll go and share the first one so this one was actually inspired by something that happened in real life which is really funny um so my in waking my sister's partner at the time he had a and, you know he was a bit like anxious he had some anxiety and stuff and one night he woke me up in the middle of the night and was like georgia come look at the moon something's weird is going on <laughs> so i'm already like oh my god the end of the world is everything you know so this doesn't help so we so we run downstairs and and i look at the moon so I, we had this lounge with these bay windows that overlook the sea and we look at the moon and it's red and it looks like it's falling into the ocean and um it's kind of freaked out for a while, but then it was like, Oh, it's just the moon rising. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) So that was what, what inspired the dream I think to happen. And the dream was exactly the same thing. So I got woken up in the night and I think it was my sister. And she says to me, come downstairs, you have to look, something's happening. So I come downstairs and I go into the living room with the bay windows and I look out and it's nighttime. And below me, so in the ocean, priests had lain um, fire, what would they call be called? Fire torches, torches of fire. They had lain them in the sea one by one in two lines either side of each other, pointing out, like making a channel, a chasm towards the moon. And the moon itself had kind of fragmented and it was all falling apart, but it was just sitting there above the sea, really close. And it was kind of slowly floating and moving around all these fragmented parts of the moon and around the moon in a circle were all these symbols of all the different religions and yeah, spiritual symbols of religions all in a circle around this, this moon. And I just was looking down at it and it was this ominous feeling, but there was beauty to it. It was, it was like, again, there was this feeling of, well, wow, this is the end of something. This is, we can't really carry on if the moon, you know, I don't know how that works, but wow. it doesn't feel like we can carry on with the moon <laughs> like that. But at the same time, it was being honored by these priests, you know, they were, I don't know who they were, but I just knew they were priests and they'd lay in these torches there so that everyone would be focusing on that vision. It was a vision, you know, it was like, wow, this is a sacred vision
0: wow that's really something yeah
4: Mm. yeah and for me i think that now looking back it was a kind of a symbol of unity trying to make sense of these things which have fallen apart you know the moon falling and fragmenting it's a little bit my myself at that time and yeah the coming together of the religions i guess could be seen as you know our beliefs or thoughts or anything that's why I feel like it's a medicine dream because it's mm-hmm. like wow I mean look at now with war and everything and all the religious fighting and this symbol of like something's fallen apart we need to put it back together maybe it's the unification of all these things
0: mm. yeah, yeah that's such a beautiful beautiful dream And when I was reading it yesterday I was just like wow that like I mean, especially, yeah, if we're, if we're looking at the moon as, like, your emotional life being fragmented, but being held in this, like, very spiritual unified energy felt like, I don't know, just felt like this beautiful, like, image of, you kind know, of like you said, like an ending, but maybe also like a, a new beginning or like, like, I just, I love your sister being like, come down here, something's happening. Like there's something happening that you're unconscious. Like you need to bear witness to like this thing that is happening in your life right now that like, this is an important moment for you. Mm. Um, so yeah, I was going to ask you based on how you just told it, I don't know if this would be true or not, but does, does the torch, i don't I don't know the right word for it, but like pathway does that feel like so I don't know where you are in your journey with this, but to me, it almost felt like it was an invitation for you to move closer to what is broken up for you or like the fragmentation, and mm. yeah, like maybe it's yeah, time for I you just- to do the work or like it's time for you to like put it back together somehow.
4: Yeah, definitely. I think I actually remember in the dream, like wanting to go down mm. and go in, you know, that was actually a, a thing
0: oh, okay.
4: that I wanted to do, which I guess is such a different, different reality from the denial and the running away.
0: Yeah, exactly.
4: Yeah, it, it really felt a shift in this. And it's so interesting how it was just through time, you know, I didn't really do anything at that, in those years, because I was in denial, you mm. know, I was in whatever, but it was just time. Yeah, and I feel like the psyche has its, you know, self-regulating stuff, and so, what? What do you call it? Self.
0: Maybe like a mechanism.
4: Yeah, like self-regulating mechanism, and I think that dream illustrates that. Like, no matter what I did something in me was trying to find balance hmm. and I've held the image my whole life obviously and I've even painted a drum where I put a a, um, a flower of life in the center and then all around it I put different religious or spiritual symbols I painted this drum Nice. so I've, yeah I held this I've held the symbol for a long time I think it's a medicine dream for sure and it really highlighted that without me realizing something was changing and I felt more ease you know it was I did definitely feel more ease at that point and then the second dream of the same time really I think shows the shift too
0: okay yeah I, I would say that even if like you didn't make drastic changes to your life right away I, I, this feels like a seed kind of a dream where it gives you something that's like far-reaching that you're like whoa um I don't know exactly what to do with this right now, but this feels really important and powerful. And I think, yeah, I think just carrying it with you, it just continues to grow on you. And, like, yeah, I think that's kind of... I think that's more true to, like, the way the psyche works on you is, like, sometimes it gives you these these big images that in the moment you're like, what? Like, <laughs> that was really cool, but, uh, okay, um... Yeah, then like a couple of years later, as like your life unfolds from there, like you just keep looking back at it and you're like, whoa, like I'm actually like starting to kind of get an understanding of what that was all about.
4: Yeah, definitely. I think a dream of that magnitude, yeah, and the kind of collective side of it in the sense that it had all these religious symbols, which I myself didn't know or have Mm -hmm. any, you know, really understanding of it's huge, really, that dream in itself. And it's, it really kind of symbolizes the whole journey for me. You know, at that point, I never knew that I would be interested in spiritual ideas or self-improvement stuff.
3: Mm.
4: But it's kind of this image of breaking apart and coming back together in a way with new beliefs or unifying, unifying things that Yeah, I'm not really sure how to say it. Again, it's so big, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, because you can see it like very personally for you, and almost like having this beautiful reassurance that like there's a spiritual energy that's surrounding you and you having broken apart. But I just like had this ping of like, if if it was to be a collective dream, like that maybe the moon symbolizes the way that all of us as humanity have like there's it's fragmented and it's our job as a unified whole to come together to put it back together definitely yeah that's really wild yeah it's magic (laughs) (laughs) so yeah let's hear this next dream
4: yeah so the next dream um these two kind of symbolized the end of of those of the issue of if these apocalypse dreams, you know, this was the kind of the the conclusion of what was being trying to be told. So in this second one, um, so I'm walking down my town road um, into, into town. And it's like, everyone knows that it's the end of the world, that it's gonna come very soon. And I think it's planned to be, you know, tonight, there's maybe a time that people know, okay, it's gonna happen and i go down to this field which in real life growing up there were little festivals held in this field it's like a football field next to my school and in the field was this big celebration going on this big party Hmm. there's kind of a party for the end of the world (laughs) and everyone was in there dancing it had this air of um in the first lord of the rings you know in hobbiton they have this party it's really funny because yeah yeah, lord of the rings yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was like folk music <laughs> and dancing. And the Lord of the Rings has significance to me because my dad as well. So I think that's why that was in there. So they're having this party and everyone's, you know, dancing with their loved ones. And it's, there's no fear. It's just beautiful. And I remember going into the marquee tent and walking around, everyone's dancing and it just being so celebratory and so beautiful and so grateful. It was like people were being grateful for their life and the time they have and the people they love and so then it was now going to be the time that it was set to be the end of the world and everyone went up onto this hill a really high hill and everyone was lying on the hill with their loved ones so their family their partners and we all lay there looking up at the sky and it was nighttime and we watched as a meteor or big planetary body kind of came in to our planet um, system and just started to, like, wreak havoc. It had to hit other planets and hit stars. And the sky started to just kind of explode with this chaos, which was kind of terrifying, but everyone was just watching it and holding on to the loved ones and just being like, wow. And so as this was all happening above and everything was being shaped into into chaos and falling apart they started to kind of the planetary body started to fall closer to us and at one point they obviously must have broken the what did you call it the uh the atmosphere yeah (laughs) yeah so at one point they come down and they break the atmosphere and in that moment it's really hard to describe it's like kind of like the when you, there's a, a mushroom cloud from a nuclear bomb and then there's this wave so mm. when it broke the the atmosphere there was this moment of the most intense silence and darkness ever you know oh. it was like it just went into this like absolute void silence and we were still there with with our loved ones and it was just like everyone's kind of breath was held like what is happening. (laughs) And then a second later, um, the wave, you know, this kind of wave, like from the, from a nuclear bomb swept through us and it was a wave of energy really strong and it came through everyone and sort of threw everyone back. And as the wave passed through everyone, it turned everyone's faces and bodies into particles of light. Wow. Yeah. And that was the dream.
0: oh man wow (laughs) and
4: the feeling was profound you know it Mm -hmm. was it was beautiful you know it was scary and it was intense but it was beautiful and yeah the wave turning everyone into these particles of lights and sacred geometry and you know the thing that stands out for me about that dream and that at the time was standing out for me about that dream was the surrender
3: Mm -hmm. it was like we
4: everyone knew it was coming we were going to honor everything that's been and we're going to go up there and we're going to watch it and we're going to enjoy
0: it (laughs) wow such a different feeling than like the escape dreams of like trying to avoid it or run away from it this like shows like a real like honoring of it
4: yeah definitely I think at the time again I didn't really understand the psychological magnitude of it i just was like wow and it was light you know (laughs) it was lighter (laughs)
3: yeah wow
4: so it brought some sort of conclusion because i'd been battling for so long and i was suddenly like oh hang on we could just face it we could just go oh it's coming there's no need to run we're never going to survive anyway
3: Hmm.
4: and yeah i think obviously my my life my experience my psychological reality before that point before my dad dying wasn't going to survive it couldn't survive Mm -hmm. it had to completely be up uphauled
0: and be left Yeah, just
3: sitting
0: with that for a second man it's really intense really beautiful
5: yeah i think
4: again that's a medicine dream for me in the sense that yeah it's that idea of surrender and courage it took so much courage for everyone to go up to that mountain and watch the moment you know in that moment of silence and the void which is much like the fear I had of going to sleep, you know, that moment of dropping into non-awareness yeah. before a dream comes.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: is scary, it's, you have to surrender. And I think it's taught me over the years a lot about yeah facing the things that are scary, facing the things that are uncomfortable, trusting that there's maybe a moment of complete chaos and non-understanding and then a moment of like, where do we go from here? Mm-hmm. But then ultimately what sweeps through It's just profound
3: yeah
4: yeah
0: wow wow so I guess what age are you at when this dream happens
4: um 15
0: or 16 15 okay so yeah that was just a couple years after everything happened yeah
4: Yeah, and we'd moved house and, yeah, I think a lot of things had changed in in my life and that felt like a really concluding point
3: Mm -hmm.
4: of like, although we're definitely not there, we're nowhere near (laughs) facing (laughs) what's happened, (laughs) um, the ultimate, like the the beginning shock and the unbalance Mm -hmm. is finding a, is finding a ground now.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Wow.
4: Outwardly, you know, I didn't, not much changed outwardly. I was still very much in the self-destructive patterns and behaviours and denial of my inner reality in some way. So it's so interesting that not much changed yet, but the whole, you know, I think the whole story that we're talking about today is that The psyche, the unconscious is doing its own work. Mm. And if, if we somehow make space for that, or even if we don't, it still happens. And we're being maybe guided and helped by, you know, maybe the spirit of my dad and my guides might have helped that journey so that I can eventually come to this point and feel a bit, yeah, feel more in touch with myself again
0: wow yeah
4: yeah so the next few years um was kind of the same stuff until we get to the next part and i'll have to think about for a second (laughs) if there's anything that needs to be (laughs) spoken about for sure so yeah the the behaviours, the patterns, the lifestyle had kind of led me into a relationship that wasn't great. Um, it was kind of emotionally, some might say physically abusive, followed a lot of patterns of my relationship with my inner masculine that has, has been a result of my dad leaving, my dad dying, all that. So I was living in the crux, in the grip of those negative Complexes and I manifested that as a, a relationship, which was not great, um, but obviously necessary. Mm-hmm. And I was still drinking a lot. And then this other dream comes so unexpectedly <laughs> to kind of shift me again. And the dream comes again to kind of say, You've got something to look at. <laughs>
0: <laughs> of course. <laughs> what do you mean i got nothing to look at yeah
4: yeah (laughs) i'm fine (laughs) that whole thing didn't affect me at all
0: yeah look how look how totally put together i am
4: i guess as it ends well like 16 year old especially i don't know being me being an aries and being a void and i'm just like yeah i'm on top of it all (laughs) Um. and then this dream was like no yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, so this one it's not really so much about the dream we have to be i'm going to have to be a bit sensitive about how i tell the dream obviously it's quite a, a taboo subject so i was in the grips of this um emotionally physically abusive relationship and i had what well, i've had i've had many of these dreams in my life before then But it was all the timing and everything coming together at this particular point so i had a incestuous dream about one of my family members i won't mention who in case you know just to protect that privacy and it was a masculine figure so again it's it was this connection with my inner masculine and you know i was in this physically externally kind of abusive relationship, but I was also in an abusive relationship with my animus and my inner masculine to let that happen.
3: Mm.
4: And so I had this dream and I woke up from that in the morning and, um, into, yeah, you know, a physical and sexually uncomfortable relationship. Um, so that dream was there present. And then this was happening on top of that. Um, and Basically, in the shortest time possible, my whole reality of who I thought I was and what I knew about myself in one second completely broke apart. Wow. It was like, yeah. I, because I didn't have a strong sense of self, really. I, I had a relationship with myself, but I didn't have a strong sense of grounding in who I was. I believed the dream, I questioned my desires i questioned you know who am i like what do i want like you like am i this am i that and i and i thought back over all these parts of my life where which might have been sexually uncomfortable because of the way that i'd had self-defeating behaviors you know destructive behaviors and and i just i questioned everything and at first it was not a good questioning it was like i am messed up Hmm. i I don't know who I am you know what what the hell and then that started to bring on this anxiety which was already there I had anxiety issues anyway in the form of intrusive thoughts so I was absolutely plagued with intrusive thoughts day in day out making me question you know I, I don't know how much you want to censor but it was like am I this am I that in sense of am I do I want to do that do I want to, am I a rapist or murder whatever Mm. you know all of the taboo words was (laughs) coming through and and i at that point uh, initially was like shit i don't know maybe i am Mm. and i just fell apart entirely like i couldn't do anything i was trying to go to college i i just i was panic attacks all day every day it was just a complete onslaught of the shadow a complete confrontation with Unconscious. Mm. It was just like I don't even know. I have no ground of who I am, what I want, what I just nothing. Wow. Yeah, it was mega.
0: Wow, that's intense. Something you just said, uh I just want to thank you for it because it it made sense of how I felt my whole life. Like I've always had like a really strong relationship to myself, but I. I haven't always, and still struggle deeply with this, like not having like the, the strongest sense of myself. Like the way you just said that, like, I was like, oh my God, that's, those are the words that I've been trying to put to that <laughs> for so long. Like, mm. cause like having such a strong relationship with myself, I I feel like I should have a stronger sense of self. But it just has not been that way i've been so self-conscious and so like ruled by shame and yeah so it's that was like oh man that's such a perfect Mm. way for me to look at that now so thank you for that and uh
4: yeah no worries yeah i think it's the difference between a self-relationship that might be you know a comfortability with our imaginal worlds or being alone or read you know being in our own company, and then there's a whole other sense of are we are we comfortable with like where we stand in the world and how yeah we place ourselves and how other people see us and all that yeah. sort of stuff
0: yeah. yeah, just like how we show up even like mm-hmm. wow,
4: yeah, so all of that out the window for me at <laughs> that time um, how
0: impressive like I've had a couple mm-hmm. of dreams that have really rocked me like. But man, that sounds that sounds real dicey.
4: Yeah, 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 yeah. And I've, like I say, I mean, I have had those dreams before. I think I'd like to untangle the taboo about dreams of any kind. Mm -hmm. So incestuous dreams are part of that. You know, people have written lots of books on them. It's 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 a collective archetypal thing. But yeah, if, if. if I try and unpack that dream, you know, I can get to a few little things about my my masculine and everything, but really I think the purpose of my unconscious bringing me that dream at that time was to completely rock the boat and to break apart everything. Yeah. And it did well. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely did well with that. So, yeah, I was in I was in turmoil. You know, I really didn't know who I was and it's kind of like everything I, I don't know what it was. It was like the, the vulnerability of my ego at that age and that time was really made aware to me that maybe the ego ego in the sense of a conscious personality or whatever that I'd built up until that time wasn't even real you know it was just so it's so hard to come like to put across how unbalancing that experience was and so i i was like i said i was in the shadow realms for a long time and what that time really showed me you know it it does change but so i what happened in my life is that i was still obviously having these very self-destructive behaviors and I got arrested for drink driving a moped which is like a little <laughs> scooter uh-huh. um with a passenger on the back who didn't have a helmet and all that sort of stuff I was 16 um and I got arrested for that and because I was underage they they gave me like probation um so as part of this probation period I got an anxiety counselor and okay i think yeah i think i've got things mixed up in the sense that i'm pretty sure i've got the anxiety counselor before this dream so the the thing with the scooter and everything must have happened before yeah i definitely remember because there's something that happens you know when you have therapy sometimes that it makes things a little bit worse before it gets better (laughs) yeah i remember at the beginning of the therapy the counseling I was so guarded and he would ask me what's going on and, blah, 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 and I would have nothing to talk about. And I would just be like quite off, standoffish. And then I distinctly remember when this started to happen. And suddenly I've got loads to talk about with my anxiety <laughs> counsellor. <laughs> <laughs> and he was the one that described to me this um, understanding of intrusive thoughts as that. He said to imagine them as, imagine that anxiety is a separate entity that's sending down thoughts into your mind and they come into five categories I have some some categories um like suicidal uh abusive aggressive sexual um yeah I think that's yeah there's a few categories I can't remember because I was just focused on mm-hmm. my own one but he gave me this understanding to see to separate from my mind. And to step back and go and to question all of the thoughts and question, you know, what they were trying to tell me about myself. Oh, is that real? And so what I actually got from this dream amazingly was this opportunity to really solidify who I was in my life. Wow. You know, I had to go, what are my values? What do I like, you know, what do I want to bring into my life? you know all these fundamental kind of who am i questions i had to really look at because the the thoughts were trying to tell me all this other stuff from the shadow realms and i think i tuned into the collective unconscious a lot the collective shadow mm-hmm. so i really had to like actually rationalize and go you know who am i in the face of this and do i agree with those thoughts that are coming in so how can i separate and go okay well if i i know for sure that i don't believe that then i'm just going to let it go and slowly slowly i kind of built some sort of foundation from from that i started to just be able to differentiate and I, this this teaching of that time in my life you know is like the biggest teaching i've ever you know been given because it made me see really far down the spectrum of where the mind can go Where the psyche can go, where the soul can go, if we if we let it, if we get unhinged from ourselves, which I feel like a lot of people do. I was, you know, I consider myself a kind, loving person, and I got thrown down there, so it gave me a lot of compassion for people who are stuck down there, acting out from these places, because I went there and I had to look at it, and it was just, and so having that that view of that end of the spectrum you know really served me for my whole life because I can look non-judgmentally and I can also have such it's I have such a firm standing now in who I am and what I believe (laughs) and what I value because yeah I had to go through that process so it's it's just been so good (laughs) for me
0: no that's awesome (laughs) yeah I I feel like I, I really love the fact that he was able to help you like step back And not just be so enmeshed in it. And to be able to be like, well, wait a minute. (laughs) Like that's so Mm. good. And I kind of stumbled into that quite a few years ago and I was really deep in doing the victim work because I realized, like, I think, and I don't even think I, I think I just did this naturally. And I think it wasn't until years later I, I realized like how effective that really was where like working with individual archetypes gave me the ability to be like, well, that's the voice of that archetype. That's not like, that's not my true full voice. That's like, that's just one part of me. And I can step back and be like, no, I don't, I don't need you to take over who I think I am right now. Like I can, I can look at you and I can appreciate you and I can attempt to like empathize with that story that you think is happening. Mm. Um, but i don't have to allow that story to like own me right now and mm. i think doing the victim work is it, really hard because your personal pain and your wounding and your triggering and all that stuff like it feels like it's such a inherent part of who you are that it it feels like it's something that you can't step away from and it tends to own us so fully um that that's like really hard to step away from that voice and be like wait a minute like this is a thing that's happening this which has consumed like my psyche for a long long time like i actually can step back from it and be like you're just one part of who i am there's like these other resources that i can drop on right now and if i can do that then maybe i can like be with this part of myself Mm -hmm. in the way that it actually needs me to be like that i can actually hold it compassionately and I can attempt to reintegrate it into my being in a way that actually is productive and is actually like really harmonious for me.
4: Mm, yeah, it kind of ties in there with like uh, the sense of, you know, all those thoughts and stuff that are coming to me, that could wreak havoc on someone's self-love. Yeah, you know? for sure. Uh, obviously, because it's like, who the frick am I? I'm the worst <laughs> person in the world to have these <laughs> thoughts. You know, like, what? I am messed up. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and that was what was happening at first. And through the process, you know, with, with my counsellor, I learned to really love on that. I'm like, if I can love myself with those thoughts, you know, can I also love everyone? You know, in the sense that I believe firmly that we all have access to the same experience. You know, I tied into some collective mm-hmm. experience in that moment. And you know, my friend said something that was really interesting before she said about in the sense of when people have, maybe if people are a little bit more in the shadow realms in their life and stuff, she said, oh, they do it so I don't have to, in the sense that all experience has to be held within the universe and they do it so that I don't have to. Um, (laughs) I don't know how much I resonate with that, but at the time I was like, oh, okay. Uh, you know I could do that I could follow those thoughts I could follow those beliefs but I don't have to Mm. and it really was separating the these things and yeah like you said if if I if I put an archetype to that experience I don't know it's probably the devil you know (laughs) (laughs) it was like all of the stuff coming from the dark you know just seeping in like the black goo I call it the Mm. black goo and uh yeah, and I and I had to learn to love it. I had to, you know, one of the, my practices that I that I kind of created for myself at that time was, um, if this was never going to change, how would I be with it? If I had to have my whole life oh, like this, wow. how would I be with it? Yeah. And I just had to learn to love on it. Like, oh, okay, if this is going to stay the same the whole time, I'm going to have to get on with it. I'm going to have to love it yeah. and move through. Wow. Yeah, and I think that's I've learned that's another lesson I've carried through, you know, my whole life in the sense of, like you say, if there are some things that we have that are in our inner child and stuff, which maybe we, I don't know if we can fully change some of it. I don't know if I can ever go back and change the part of me that, you know, the child that reacted to my dad's death in certain ways. Mm-hmm. But what I can do is I can mm-hmm. go, if this is never going to change, what am I going to do about that? Like, how can I love it, be with it?
0: Yeah. Yeah, how can I hold space for my inner child to be okay with, like, not being okay?
4: Hmm, yeah, it's a big one. Yeah. It's a big one, you know, I've been... Yeah, we might at the end talk a little bit about how it's unfolding now, but, you know, there are things which have come to light in my life which are difficult to deal with and And you go back and you go can I ever change the part of my inner child that reacts in that way to that person or that behavior or that action that Mm. moment yeah and the more I've gone back and I've done soul retrieval in certain ways it's like Mm. yeah I can reclaim that child in her beauty but I also don't think I can ever change the response in that moment and maybe there's a part of me that's always going to stand in that moment replaying it over and over again and that's going to affect my beliefs and my stories now, but how can, yeah, how can we hold space for that and love it and not judge it and not try and change it, not let it come into our, you know, reality too much in the sense of change everything that we do, but, yeah, it's massive.
0: I just wanted to play this beautiful song that Georgia has written for her inner child. May it be a balm and healing for your inner child. Yeah, something that I, I heard recently around grief was like, I don't know how was it said, There's something like you don't ever like get over it in the sense that like you want, like we all think that, oh, we just like get over it one day and then we can move on. But I don't, it, that never really quite happens, but you just, you end up having to learn to like make space for the grief inside of you. Mm. and i don't know yeah
4: i think i'll yeah i mean i'll always have that child that heard my mum tell me my dad has died and have that feeling yeah and we can kind of open it and close it you know open it look at it feel it close it carry on you know i've i've recently did a, a course with grief, and we made space every week to open the gates of grief,
3: hmm.
4: and and have and you know almost have it as an object for an altar, the grief,
5: you know, ah. the
4: grief altar, and this is an offering for beauty, and then we close it and we carry on <laughs> with our life, hmm. you know. I did not know. I don't know if experiencing it lessens it or if it just is another experience we have
0: yeah i think well at least personally in, in my life the grief that i've finally gone into and worked with it seems like it like yeah it doesn't neuter it but it like just developing that compassion for yourself i think uh yeah, I think there's like a beautiful way that it like it doesn't lessen the blow per se. Um, yeah, I just really feel like just developing that relationship with your grief in a way is like it takes a little bit of the sting out of it because you're not running from it, you're not avoiding it, you're not like trying to brace yourself from what it would do to you, and I know that. If you lean fully into it, it gives you so much. It like yeah. welcomes you back to yourself in a way that is nourishing. And um, yeah, and I think the more that you do that, the more you realize like the gift that grief has for you. If you go there, that I don't. It I don't think grief is ever comfortable, but um, there's a comfort in knowing that. It's not going to swallow you or it's not going to, I think a lot of people like think if they open that up, is it going to be so much that I don't recover from it? And I think, you know, I don't know. I don't think I've had strong enough. (laughs) Let me see how my inner self feels about that <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had strong enough grief to even speak to that, um, but like, yeah, I don't know,
1: yeah, see, like I can't I think...
0: relate to having experience in my child. the closest thing that I have right around that same age, my grandmother died, and she was mm. she was like everything to me, she was just the most amazing woman, and yeah, like, but that. Even that, as hard as that was for me, I, I I don't even think I could relate that remotely close to, like, having one of my parents died. But I know what that grief mm-hmm. did to me during that time, and it, it seems like it took me on a, on a somewhat similar path. Not nearly as intense, but just really brought me deeply into myself and really trying to... Yeah, I don't know. Definitely was not it's the same path by any means but i definitely absorbed it really hard and
4: yeah yeah it's such a it's such a teacher grief it's such a strong medicine you know in this course again um that i did recently someone was saying and i and i feel the same they're kind of like oh when grief goes i actually miss it because i miss how in touch with life i was oh yeah during the grief Mm-hmm. You know, I miss how it, I was so open and vulnerable because I was cracked wide open. I feel when I've had those experiences of deep grief now, I mean, not with my dad, because I didn't really process it in the same way at first, but the way I've worked back backwards into it. Yeah. I feel like I am so much more alive to life and it's always a journey of how I've been pondering recently, how to keep that alive you know how to keep that sensitivity and subtlety open without having it you know having someone have to die or something yeah. for that to be the mm-hmm. way in which I experience life and that I that I let it touch me I let it hurt me I let it rip me open because I want that even though it's painful it's like I want that because that feels like living
0: yeah exactly yeah And that, yeah closing yourself off to that kind of deep feeling of life really is such a travesty that like we talked about earlier like western society seems so geared towards being avoidant to that and wanting to be like no we're not going there right now um that puts a kink in the old western machine to have to have feelings (laughs) Uh, but even like everything that's going on in palestine right now like for a, a while there like i was I was like, I can't even handle that right now. And finally one day I sat down and I just watched a video um, that came across my Instagram feed and I just fully let it hit me and it just devastated me. But it allowed me to like regain some of my humanity there. It It was to see this parent just screaming out because this child just died. Like, Mm -hmm. especially as a father, that just, like, I'm like, I cannot even imagine if I was in his shoes. And the whole world around me just completely blew up. And if that wasn't bad enough, now I have to actually bury my child. Mm -hmm. like And to to have allowed myself to go there and to feel his pain, um, yeah, it allowed me to, like, recapture a bit of my own humanity that was trying to say, that's across the world i don't have to think about that i don't have to feel that and Mm -hmm. allowing myself to feel that makes Mm. me more human it makes me truer to my true soul Mm.
4: yeah i mean what what a travesty is that we in the western world can just you know scoot on over everything carry on with our normal life you know not just with this one you know one experience of war, but all of the experiences of war and poverty. And, you know, we don't even look at our dead people when they die. You know, this is what I experienced with, with my dad and with other mm. people. It's like, we can't even see their body. Yeah. We take, they take it away and they go, don't look. Yeah. You no, know, you can't see that. You know, I asked my mom if I could see my dad and she wouldn't let me. Again, I don't blame her for that, but it's this, this thing that in other cultures, you it would be normal for the body to be there for days to do ceremonies with it to say goodbye to process you know we've been so cut off from anything that can make our little western world look not so nice you know and Mm. that is a shame because not we're not we're not gaining from that we're just actually missing out on this amazing experience of the other side of life which yes it's a little bit dark yes it's a little bit scary but oh my god it's it's if we want to be whole we need all of it and that's been you know through my experience with the dreams and everything and what we we're talking about it's like you can't cut that part off of you because you're not going to be whole yeah and yeah it's such a shame that we are led to believe these this lie of our western society where everything's everything's fine nothing's problem you know we don't have to think about anything and look at that but we're what are we not thinking about and looking in ourselves in that if that's the external reality there's there's a mirroring going on there yeah and yeah so my journey with the dreams and generally with my spiritual journey has been to look at that part that's not wanted to be looked at
0: yeah that's beautiful Yeah. So if you want to be whole, you got to grieve. (laughs)
4: Yeah, definitely. And you got to be angry.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you got to
4: be sad. And you got to be maybe a little bit nasty sometimes. Yeah, Yeah. all the nitty-gritties. So yes, there I am in in the depths of that experience. I'm I'm starting to come out with these strong, yeah, teachings of how to understand myself basically and um there's one pivotal moment which i remember in my daily life in my <laughs> daily life is funny waking life
3: mm-hmm.
4: where i was plagued still by all the anxiety and the panic attacks and stuff and i remember I, I this day got so bad that i had to call my therapist into college so that i could carry on with the day in in college and carry on with my my lessons and then I went home and it was like still I was feeling so heightened and you know that I couldn't do anything nothing was taking away the pain and the anxiety and the worry and the the heartbeat and horrible sickness and I remember sitting in my living room with my mum my sister on either side of me and I finally showed vulnerability you know I sat there and I just went I don't know what to do and I cried and I saw my vision kind of tunneling in and it was like I was at the bottom of a well you know like (laughs) like the girl in the ring you know and and that was me and you know I was kind of watching how the little thing of the cover of the well closes over and I was like oh my god there's no way out and what happened in that moment is somewhere somehow and this is how I think my life has been guided by you know my dad's spirit and other guides it's like I could have let that moment you know close the lid and that's that and I might have you know taken my life or something but behind mm-hmm. that moment this kind of light came on it was like a little a light came on inside of me and I, in a second I got this feeling image you know a flash of what my life could be like and where i could be and where i could be in years from now and i got it all came in this one kind of fast moment of light and then i i opened my eyes and i was like i just instantly started to feel better and from then on i just started to you know use um my sister really helped me with um getting a better diet i was looking at I was going into meditations and i was still working with the thoughts and everything but i was really working on the self-love aspect, and um yeah just meditating with the mind letting things clear in those years of the self-destructive behaviors i'd i'd watched a lot of um horror movies and played a lot of video games i had kind of an obsession about it Mm -hmm. i think it was this shadow devil (laughs) wanting to you know make itself known so this curiosity about it for years so in those years I saw a lot of you know messed up stuff and so when I started to meditate that stuff was all coming out of me in my brain I would sit there and it'd be like deaf, 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 you know mm. everything else and um I just this experience with solidifying my sense of self just helped me to just keep the ground you know I just had this new sense of like I know who I am and I know who I could be and I'm gonna just sit here and let it let go and I'm going to do the cleanse so it's a purging of of the mind you know and all all the stuff that I'd been holding on to to try and distract myself and everything else for so long and in a way that leads us to our to the the last dream that I'm that I was talking about with you is that so yeah for a few I guess where am I I was 16 17 Yeah. So I'm still, um, drinking at this point. I'm still actually, you know, I, the behaviors are still holding on quite a bit because of habits, you know, as they are, but i am mm-hmm. definitely, um, got a stronger sense of self. And it's like, things aren't hitting as much in the sense that like, I want to go out and party, but it's like, I still, I have a le- new level of awareness. It's like, you know, um, and what happened, I kind of, there was a, one year my 17th year after all this that i kind of went really deep deep into the alcohol um it would not be that i would drink every night but i'll be binge drinking and i couldn't like just have one and not you know not anymore so i'd be blackout drunk like Mm. a few times a week and um, what happened ultimately was that six weeks before my 18th birthday i was hospitalized with liver inflammation um so the toxins you know my liver was had stopped being able to process oh. and the toxins were running into my bloodstream i had yellow eyes yellow oh, nails man. i was so ill i know my stomach was so bad my obviously pain and i yeah that was through through the drinking and i spent three weeks out of college because they thought i might have hepatitis or something and i spent three weeks basically on the sofa you know my body was completely destroyed and um i took it's going to sound really funny but so i stopped drinking but i only stopped drinking for 6 weeks because it was 6 weeks before my 18th birthday so <laughs> i <laughs> i stopped drinking for 6 weeks but in that 6 weeks that was the longest i hadn't drank since my dad had died wow. and what happened in that in those 6 weeks was i gave space for something to come through that was wanting to come through like a part of me that was stronger than the alcohol but i carried on drinking <laughs> <laughs> i drank from my 18th birthday which is april i drank all that summer um and autumn kidding myself that drinking straight vodka was better than drinking mixes or whatever mm. for the liver <laughs> Um. And so I still have one last kind of push, you know, and I, and I feel like in my journey, that has actually been true for letting go of things you try to, you kind of make a decision. You're like, I'm going to stop this. And then there's one final like push from, from the shadow or from whatever it is, from that behavior that wants mm. to go like, and hold on. <laughs> so I did a final push the last night of the last night I ever got drunk, properly drunk was, um, yeah, it was, uh, in November of that year of my 18th year and. That night, I just, it was just all of the bad things about drinking and who I became when I was drunk in one night. And I woke up from that and I was so hungover and I said to myself, I'm not drinking anymore. And I didn't. I didn't drink for seven years, um, not one touch of alcohol. Now I can have like a half of a cider or something, but I don't really enjoy it, you know. but i kicked the demon in those seven years um nice. so well yeah congrats and <laughs> thank you yeah it was it was strong um but i had such a strong sense of self again from these from these experiences that was just like pushing me through and it was like i know for sure this is the way to go mm-hmm. so that first kind of year off of alcohol I was still really working with the mind and with meditation and with self-love and with affirmations and with just building 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 my you know you might say ego but rebuilding it in a more aligned way and um yeah that's that's when this this final kind of period of dream that we can talk about happened um about yeah probably in the first year of stopping drinking and kind of clearing myself up a bit
0: (laughs) yeah are these the slender man dreams yeah oh okay (laughs) oh man i can't wait
4: (laughs) yeah so as i mentioned i had you know this first i would say year or two years of meditation was basically mind purging all of the blah blahs Mm -hmm. from horror movies horror games or just everything and a figure that kept was stayed with me for a while was the slender man from this game and um i, yeah, I used to play that game with my friend at night time and we'd freak ourselves out <laughs> about it and it's such and, a creepy um,
0: name like i don't know it's such a simple name but it's so creepy yeah the Slender. i man. know
4: because he <laughs> said it. so the story i mean of him it's it's we can go into a bit psychologically i guess because he was apparently a um, child abuser who they took to the woods um as a punishment and they pinned him on the tree and they stretched him wow. and in the game you are a child girl walking around the forest and he's following you um it's terrible yeah it's terrifying and you you can't the the kind of aim of the game is you can't let him look at you too long in the eyes so you can't turn around and see him so he's always behind you and you know he's following you but you can't turn around and look because if you turn around and look he starts to kind of go towards you and that will end the game wow so you have to pick up these kind of notes and stuff as you walk around without letting him come into your line of sight and too close to you so you have to run away when he sees you and stuff and so obviously i mean even talking about it now, I'm like, boom, 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 my heart, you know, because yeah. it, it's scary, <laughs> yeah. it's scary. And it's such a strong image for, for me because it, it held all this power as I'd, you know, he was kind of the symbol of my inner monster and mm. a lot of, a lot of things. And so, yeah, I remember one meditation I had, I was sitting on my balcony and I, and I saw him in my mind's eye down on my lawn. Looking up at me at my balcony, and I just sat there. I was using prayer beads at the time to, to stay with with it because I had such intensity in meditation. So just carrying on my prayer med- mantra ever so. Whilst he's kind of sitting on the lawn, and it was like, <laughs> <laughs> am I gonna stay with this? So I had a lot of slurs of dreams with, of him um, where I would be just basically in the game, you know, walking around. A forest and a abandoned kind of warehouses and stuff, and trying to. And I knew, always knew that he was behind me. It's mm. terrifying. Yeah,
0: it was powerful. Oh <laughs> yeah.
4: Oh my gosh. And I had a lot of those, and they were non-conclusive. Um, and I, yeah, it's that feeling of being stalked by something. And again, it's like the shadow is there, wanting to be known and mm. wanting to be dealt with, I guess. And I continued to work with self-love, self-affirmations, like I said, and then um, a couple of dreams came that were really, yeah, teacher medicine dreams again. The one with the Slender Man was a normal Slender Man dream where I'm walking in the forest and I'm trying to uh, not be seen, get away from him, whatever it is going on. And then I get this sense, I can't remember what happened, but I get this sense that something's wrong. And I turn around, and I'm like, and I see the slender man on the floor, and he's dying.
3: Aww.
4: And I suddenly feel immense grief and pain. And I run up to him, and I take him in my arms like a baby, and I look down at him i'm on I'm on the the porch of a house, and I look down at him, and I tell him, "I love you, I love you. I love you." And I hug him and embrace, and I wake up. That's yeah.
0: (laughs) That's that one. I was rereading that one yesterday. I was like, (laughs) that's mm. huge wow
5: yeah
4: it's such a it was so funny for me because i'd never experienced the kind of man like that obviously i'd always been terrified of him mm-hmm. i woke up from that dream and i was like what
5: yeah. and
4: i felt yeah. sad i woke up and i was really sad and i guess i i must have attached to this figure you know for maybe safety i don't know maybe i was safe in the story of running away
3: Mm.
4: you know i don't know what it was um at the time but i felt really sad and and i and i loved him like like really loved him like a part of me it was not false it was not like oh an affirmation of love you know it was right. like it was coming from the depths and i and i couldn't help but cry and hold him in the dream and it was just mega um,
0: yeah something that actually when you told the backstory of slender man i had this ping which is kind of like if if this is a shadow character for you was it this looming fear like that chases your inner child and like that has your inner child in some kind of like fear state yeah. or something and like
4: i think yeah definitely and The point that he's masculine you know that he's a man is like this this issue which i'm still with you know i'm still being with
5: of um kind of what would you call it overwhelm from
4: the masculine you know Hmm. um aggression and you know that there's so it's this masculine principle in me that throughout my life through the things that i've done in my life and given it reflection for and the way that i've maybe faced myself is that yeah my my animus has been really strong and and can feel very very overpowering and i think in this dream you know it's like i'm a little girl and there's this scary masculine figure you know maybe it's it's the pain that my dad caused me you know i mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. leaving by you know, whichever, whatever way else and dying and anything else that happened in his life, you know, it's like, it's the impact of that to change my whole life and how it did change my whole life, you know, and it's, it's that thing that follows me around all the time. And
3: yeah,
4: yeah. can I, again, it's, it's so beautiful that that dream is, it's not about changing it. It's like we were talking about earlier with the inner child. It's not about changing. It's about being like, can I just love it as it's there?
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
4: And I think in that dream and the one before, it's like, maybe.
0: <laughs> yeah, because this kind of felt like a lot like the same kind of like escape kind of notion of wanting to run from the big scary thing that happened. And. uh Yeah, I think I think it's just so beautiful that you finally like turn towards it, which we've seen in quite a few of your dreams now of this process of wanting to run from. The painful thing and then eventually finding your way to coming to it and honoring it and looking right at it Mm. and I yeah just to me that feels like such a powerful moment of uh, yeah coming back to yourself and I think it was so beautiful the way that you portrayed how deeply you actually loved Slender Man and like yeah, it just feels like you're a true and, like, full honoring of that part of you, which is a piece of you. It's, mm. And if, if he does, like, I don't know how this will ring for you, but if he is, like, really connected to your grief as a child over your dad dying, like, to reclaim... ownership over that big scary thing that happened and mm. loving yourself in it I think is a gorgeous <laughs> a really gorgeous kind of testament to how this process is continuing to shape for you.
5: yeah I think
4: he illustrates so much for me this under man I think massively it's been a you know a commentary on my relationship with the masculine and, and sexuality and how i can hold those parts of myself as well
3: hmm.
4: and the you know this yeah whichever ways i've related with the masculine which have been in kind of disempowering ways um like the slender man and that that's how i say that my inner masculine has kind of used that as a reflection and maybe come out of proportion at some points and the shadow of course so it's kind of yeah it's it's the death it's, experiences when he was alive even of my emotions it's it's Mm. growing up and going in those teenage years of, of over abusing sexuality and how that that all kind of hangs on the back and and keeps keeps wanting to be looked at so i guess to come into more of a balance and more of yeah contained being where it's all held and loved and released and retrieved and
0: (laughs) yeah wow yeah because something i was thinking also is like if he if he in the game is kind of like a pedophile of sorts like Mm -hmm. if you take like the charge around that away and you look at that more of like stealing children's innocence or something like that yeah Mm
3: -hmm.
0: And maybe uh, metaphorically like that great fear that like big wounding experience that you have and i would probably have to imagine took away a lot of your childlike innocence having such a hard experience of death so early
4: yeah yeah definitely there's so much you know this there's, there's only so much we can share here really about about yeah this this whole thing really and how it's been a whole life of of stuff you know it's Mm -hmm. growing up as a girl growing up as a woman in this time and in any time trying to solidify your sense of self around you know sexuality and showing up and and being seen and how you give away and prostitute your power Mm. it's been a massive thing with that that's really the way where i'm at with it now obviously i still revisit the things around my dad's death but like i said there's always that child that is always gonna be where it's at and for me now it's the way that it's unfolding more so is yeah is is that what I just mentioned around power and prostitution of the self and mm.
0: Question that just came to mind was, uh, do you feel any sense of praise around this for you? Like as far as like, as terrible and tragic as your dad passing is like this seems to have like really been the catalyst for you to like have the spiritual awakening and this whole thing happen for you that yeah is that like a a balm of sorts of
4: definitely I I definitely wouldn't be here I don't think uh, in this this space that I am I would with myself and you know some people believe that part of the the burden that we take on or our maybe legacy as parents is that we live for our children in a way because we're passing on and passing on things and that might be alive or dead so it's kind of like I feel that my dad had reached a certain point in his life and it was like the only way was to pass over but mm he also lived that for us and maybe passed over for us so that he could be guiding us on the journey so that we could be initiated into the mysteries in that way you know me and my sister and yeah my mum so i feel that it happened exactly as it needs to, needed to and in a way sometimes you know i'm like oh i can't i feel like i can't mend some parts of our relationship because he's not alive mm. which is difficult because it's like when someone's alive you can talk to them about things I can sometimes feel like oh there's this stagnation but then when i remember that you know if you believe that energy doesn't dissipate and that we can actually still heal if we can heal the ancestors you know heal with the ancestors then then actually mine and his healing it can continues all the time Mm. and you know even the experience I had when he was alive they catalyzed my journey you know with with my sense of power and my sense of sexuality and all these things you know he wasn't sexually abusive I just put that out there but it's it's just it's the relationship with the masculine you know Mm -hmm. he was the first masculine figure that I came into contact with and the first animus for me you know So he, I have all all of him. (laughs) I have it to thank for him to thank for everything. Not only the death, but just the way my my workings with with life generally.
0: Oh, that's beautiful.
3: Hmm.
0: Yeah, I kind of felt the same about my grandmother when she passed, that she was, uh, she had greater work that she could do from the other side of, yeah, I don't know, I think that... It sometimes feels, yeah. Yeah, it sometimes feels like that, where it's like, because I totally felt like she like instantly became my guardian angel after that, and I still like feel like (laughs) that all the time, like if I pray to her for something, um, it usually like shows up in my life within like a month... (laughs) She, like, gets to work and she's like, all right, how, how, how can we organize things for <laughs> hmm.
4: Yeah, it took me so long to accept that part of my, my dad's death, really, you know. It's like, at first, it's like, you know, where are they gone? They're gone, they're gone, they're gone. I'm never going to see him again, you know. That's what it was like. And I had dreams of him coming back and it was all a lie and blah, blah, blah. It took me so long to really Mm -hmm. you know, it was obviously through the spiritual journey and having these kind of broader perspectives of going, oh maybe he isn't gone and so you know, recently so me and you, we we went on the course, we I was partaking in your course. Yeah, the siren
0: soul retrieval, yeah. Oh Mm -hmm. yeah.
4: And so a dream came from that, the dark corner dream.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: And
4: that um again I guess this part is, it's so similar, right? Symbolically to all these dreams of mine, it's like the same story. And that was preemptive in a way of, um, my friend Robbie passing away. I spoke to you about. So recently it was in October, my friend, my really, really good friend of mine, a soul brother, Robbie, passed away really unexpectedly. He really struggled in his life with various things. And so that experience of having a, someone else die really close to me it was the first time since my dad and his funeral was in the same place that my dad's was and it was like wow oh, it was man. felt like this this kind of circling wow. this retrieval and it was a chance to do it again you know it was a chance to feel it differently to really go for it in the moment you know to not hide it away and not and I and I wanted to for my dad and Robbie I wanted to do it properly this time I was like I'm going to do it properly I'm going to really go there and and feel it and Robbie like you said Robbie immediately felt like he became a a guardian and it was just like his power was unleashed in the spirit world where maybe it couldn't be unleashed here and I got so through that I got another kind of initiation into grief and the death realms and actually um my grandmother passed away two days ago so another one yeah she would she it's okay i mean it was it was time you know mm-hmm. have more preparation with something like that with robbie yeah. it was again it was quite like a shock like my dad so it brought up again the oh, feelings man. of like oh my god but my grandma was very peaceful and she's obviously immediately also become a, a guardian and it's so beautiful how these these people can become part of like what you might call our spirit team or mm-hmm. you know i've had readings with psychics and ancestors have come through which I haven't really thought about much you know my great grandma or something mm-hmm. apparently she's like the big deal in my in my spirit team <laughs> <laughs> it's oh. like everyone has to come through her oh that's you know? funny Interesting. it's like wow I didn't know that <laughs> <laughs> oh. but yeah I feel like it's really a pivotal thing that maybe someone's spirit can be fully unleashed more so in the spirit mm-hmm. realm than. And maybe it's for the next life, you know, this life was perfect for what they needed. Yeah, And that surrender, again, it's like that original dream with the meteors hitting and, and the surrender that, that, that is, it's like, it's circling back to now of just having a surrender and a courage and a, a willingness to just receive life as it is. And just to go, okay, I'm not going to turn my face. I'm not going to pretend that that doesn't happen. I'm not going to look away from the dead.
0: Hmm. Wow, beautiful (sighs)
3: Hmm.
0: (laughs) Wow And here is another song by Georgia That is an ode to her father And may it be beautifully healing For anyone you've lost
2: Sky, I see your face appearing in the clouds. Feel the sand beneath my feet. I'm wondering if you.
0: it was like man like knowing what i knew about it coming into it i knew it was going to be really intense and really i think i only saw the intensity in your email yeah <laughs> oh man there there's so much there's so much beauty like wrapped around all of it and uh yeah i just love how how many different ways your story reflects the process of like initially wanting to run and then forging the strength to to actually be with it i think uh mm-hmm. you've shown that so beautifully in so many different ways here today and man uh, like what you're just saying about Robbie's funeral like to have it in the same funeral home as your dad and mm. to have him die so suddenly, mm. like.
4: There's another part as well with my grandma. So, um, before she was put in hospital and before I knew she was even on, on the kind of brink of death, I had this dream and I won't go massively into it, but it was, it was a really strong one. And there was a moment where I was in a hospital with red lights and, um, it was kind of like, a dream within a dream where my my family were watching this dream on a on a screen and stuff but it was a really strong dream and i was like wow this is interesting i wonder what that's about and then my mom says okay my grand, you know your grandma's there oh she's not got long left you better come and see her so i went to see her and she was in the hospital that i was born in oh. and so yeah it was soul retrieval again from you know it's like i had to go and i don't think there would be any other time that I would ever go there you know it's, it's hours away from where I live mm-hmm. it's like there's no reason and so I went to see my grandma and say goodbye and all this all this stuff which was of course such a big closing and then as I walked out of the hospital it was nighttime and the hospital lobby was lit up with a red light and I was <sighs> like well that's the dream wow. and you've gone back to the place you were born full cycle 27 years later you wow. know, which is also sat in return, right? Yeah. To retrieve something that happened, you know, part of you that was in the hospital, part of you that was still there, and now your grandma's passing it on into spirit world with you, you know. It's why it was so deep.
0: Yeah, like a full passing of the torch, like man. Is she like your last mate like big matriarch? Or do you still um, have another grandmother?
4: There's one on my um dad's side still. Oh, okay. But yeah,
0: that would have been extra. Like, well,
4: <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely connected still, very much to still, my. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm definitely really connected to my maternal line. Mm. Yeah, it's been really deep. It, it's, it's just like we said, soul retrieval on so many levels. Mm-hmm. How come we retrieve? You know, in a way, every time we dream, we re- we retrieve parts of ourselves. But to have it reflected in external reality, like yeah. my. In a few months, you know, the saints were like three or four months going back to when my dad died and going back to where I was born. It was, and it was so deep, yeah. Wow. Hmm.
0: Yeah, the way that, the way that our waking life is so dreamlike, like how dreamlike that is.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like that's, that's really where I think like, I'm always trying to capture like that essence of like living mythically in my waking life. And sometimes it's really, really hard to like understand how to like know what that looks like or like how that even happens. And the thing is that you can't make it happen. I just like, just by living your life honestly and truthfully and like going there with it. I think that's when like the mythic kind of quality, like really shows up and like really shocks you when you're like, when you're in conversation with these big forces in your waking life and you go there with them Mm. there's just like there's a whole symbology to your waking life that i think is really magical and really special to like look at also and
4: Mm. yeah yeah it takes courage you know like Mm. the lessons from these dreams of mine it's like i think that's how we meet it with courage you know if so my mum was kind of saying to me oh don't bother coming to see grandma you know she's kind of delirious she won't know you're there or whatever but i was like okay that's scary but i'm gonna go and in going was when i then could tie in the dream with the red light Mm -hmm. and go back to the place i was born and so that took me to kind of have the courage to follow the thread
3: Mm
4: -hmm.
0: yeah (laughs) oh man Alright, so to, to wrap this up with you, I'd just like to have you sum this all up for us really in a beautiful way that that is like really touching you right now. Like how do you feel this whole process has shaped you? Like what it, if you could just share on your heart like what this has all really meant for you and like a
3: Yeah.
5: For me, it's
4: all been about turning the face to the dark, honouring that that's a valid part of life and that there's so much beauty there that it can hold. And that if only we have the courage and the strength in ourselves, then the darkness is not the void. It's not the void that I believed when my mum told me, are oh, you going to go to sleep and never wake up? Mm-hmm. It's not the the void is not empty you know it's full it's full of potential it's full of teachings and it's full of energy for our life for our movement through life and so yeah using your courage to to look and to allow those experiences to alchemize and bring things together like the dream with the moon mm-hmm. you know the moon and the darkness the unconscious the scary to face it to unify your whole self
0: beautiful very very beautiful and thank you so much for sharing everything you did here today and in diving that deep into it and yeah i've so appreciated getting to know you over the last year or so. I actually looked at when your initial email was sent to me and I was like, oh my god, this was like spring of 2023. Maybe it was... Mm -hmm. Couldn't have been that. No. Was that about a year ago?
4: Yeah, maybe. Seems like it was
0: longer than that.
4: Could have been the winter.
0: Yeah. Yeah, then you joined my songwriting class and I, I was like, yeah, <laughs> we're going to get you in, I promise. <laughs> it's just like, sometimes this takes a long time to get around to people. I don't know why. I guess because we only do like one one a month right now. That, And I try to be, I try to feel it. I try to like really be truthful to like knowing what stories feel like. Like the podcast, if it's an entity of its own, like wants to share
4: yeah and
0: i guess if we had done it back then we wouldn't have had your beautiful share right there at the end about robbie's death and your grandma's death and so i don't Mm. know it feels like this is like another big moment for you of uh turning back and kind of being given a an opportunity to step forward with even more capacity
4: Mm. yeah it feels it feels really good to honor the whole journey mm-hmm. and and for that to be you know a, a self-love act as well to go wow you've you've really gone there you've really been there yeah. you know no matter how much your little self might want to say oh no you don't go there or <laughs> <laughs> you know make any stories about the normal stuff they do in moments like this you you know we can really look and go wow yeah I've done something (laughs) I've done something here Mm -hmm. with my life and
5: (laughs) yeah
0: yeah I think that's one of the beautiful things about the way that we've been doing the podcast is that I think most people after they get done telling their story they're like holy crap like I haven't actually had somebody sit me down and like explain it all and so and they like really have that opportunity to be like here it was they're like wow I actually like This is actually a thing like this was a huge chunk of my life that like holds immense meaning for me and immense beauty and so much healing and so much gratitude for how hard the path had to be to get me here. And Mm -hmm. yeah, it's it's such a beautiful ode to huge chunks of people's lives that, yeah, it's I'm I just love (laughs) being able to hold the space like that for Mm, these stories to come through.
4: Yeah. And it's such a beautiful testament, you know, like you just said, that it had to be hard to get here. That's just the reality of it. You know, I'm no longer living. And I I really hope that we as a collective don't have to continue living this kind of Western idea of that it doesn't have to be difficult or that in the sense of emotionally difficult, you know, that we can just brush through and and that's what life is about and that means you've had a successful life yeah i don't think that's success in my eyes i think this is success
0: <laughs> yeah absolutely mm-hmm. Hmm. well before we end here i wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of speak to some of the offerings that i know you have and you're rebranding your whole self to be the priestess of mysteries Mm -hmm. wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of let people know if they want to i guess what kind of offerings you have and then uh how they can get in touch with you if
4: Mm. so in terms of the dreams i have um a 13 week online program which is like a one-to-one program with me which goes through like a massive range of um approaches to dream work i've also got a shorter course on there and then um one-to-ones i do healings energy healings and psychic readings and card readings as well and that's um priestess of the mysteries on instagram and all the usual things
0: wonderful yeah and we'll have some links in the show notes and so yeah if anybody wants to do some work with her she's amazing she was in my songwriting class this last summer which by the way she's an amazing musician also um uh, yeah so fully endorsed working with Georgia she's a real deal and she's just so sweet so yeah um, thank you again so much I'm glad that yeah. we got this finally worked out it's been like rescheduling for the last two months here and there
4: <laughs> it's all the divine timing so yeah. that you know like I say my grandma could have passed away two days before we do it just mm. to complete the story yeah wow
5: Yeah, thank you.
0: Yeah, so welcome.
5: You held me in your silent gaze Waiting for the moment When I had exhausted all efforts Just as I thought there was no hope There you were There in the depths of all I had tried to escape You looked at me searched all that time just to find you right at home you were with me
1: Your dreams give voice to all the various parts of you, and during that precious time that you get, you can see and experience your inner workings, how you tick. And if there's something you want to change, there's no better time to do it. Georgia remade herself from the inside out after her dream shattered her. Shattered what she thought she knew herself to be, and that part of her that knew just how to deliver the medicine told her what was coming it showed her that the end of her old self was coming. And that was exactly what was needed. The old had to pass away for something new and beautiful to grow in its place. It's like kintsugi, the Japanese art of remaking broken pottery. You can take the pieces and put them back together and make art out of it. Speaking of art, Georgia has her art available online at Bandcamp, Look up Georgia Palmer at Bandcamp.com and her album, Coming Back to Love. Isn't that really what this episode is all about and what her experience speaks to? Stephen and I have been busy putting together our online school at dreamschool.net. In fact, this Sunday, we have another seminar coming up. This one is on dream symbols. We hope that you'll sign up and join us there. It's free for all of you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the dreams that shape us podcast. And thank you for your continued support of us for the reviews that you're leaving online. You should see what you've been leaving at places like Apple and Spotify. We really appreciate the help that you've been giving us in getting this message out that dreams really are meaningful and that they really can shape your life. I'm J.M. DeBoard, your co-host, and for my co-host, Stephen Ernenwine, I'd like to wish you all nighty-night.